This is an alternative universe. You see, there aren't any textbooks that teach about these principles. It's dangerous if the government gets in the business of propaganda. We need journalistic integrity now more than ever. Warning, you're listening to the Agenda 31 podcast with Corey Ive and Todd McGreevy. The thing, remember, names are for things. That is why the United States respects the sovereignty of the British people and their right of self-determination. For good reasons, we don't want the government to be the lead on that. Due to the unique division of political authority in the United States, U.S. citizens are residents in every state and should not attempt to copy the strategies employed by the hosts of the Agenda 31 broadcast without first consulting legal counsel. Do you have a license for this? Uh, motivation. What's, uh, what, what, what is my motivation? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not okay with slavery, just so we're clear. As a U.S. citizen, you, you just don't own anything. You're just a, a user, and the government owns everything. And the assumption is everybody's a U.S. citizen. You know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. We're just trying to get to the truth. I get it. But what you need to remember is that there's what people want to hear, there's what people want to believe, there's everything else, then there's the truth. And since when is that okay? I can't even believe you're saying this to me. The truth means responsibility, Arnie. Exactly, which is why everyone dreads it. Welcome to Agenda 31. This is your co-host, Todd McGreevy, and I'm being joined by... Corey Ive. Greetings, Todd. In the morning to you, Corey. Waving a hand from the left coast. Excellent. The land of the, uh, what I believe will soon be the highest gas taxes in the nation, but they get away with it by calling them fees instead of taxes. Rules for us, rules for them. We have that here in Scott County, Iowa, where I'm overlooking the banks of the Mississippi River. And uh, the uh, truth is exactly why everybody avoids it. It brings responsibility, Corey. Yes, it does. I remember during the Ron Paul uh, Ron Paul Wars, we'll call them, the Ron Paul Wars, the two uh, presidential campaigns, he was... Uh, I think very uh, accurate in stating once you know what's going on, once you get what's happening on the inside of this government, you can't turn away. You can't just let it go once you understand it. That's why I, I pulled that clip from a movie called The International. You ever watched yeah. that movie with Clive Owens? Oh, yes. Okay. Naomi yes, Watts. I have seen that. It's been a while. I'll have to uh, run it again on it's, the streaming device. That was a good movie. It's superb. Yeah. And it's very uh, relevant to this day. And, uh, um, in fact, uh, I've got one other clip from that that's, I think, worth checking out. Real no, quickly. no. The IBBC is a bank. Their objective isn't to control the conflict. It's to control the debt that the conflict produces. You see, the real value of a conflict, the true value, is in the debt that it creates. You control the debt. You control everything. You find this upsetting, yes? Yes. But this is the very essence of the banking industry. To make us all, whether we be nations or individuals, slaves to debt. And of course, Americans are not uh, taught any of that in the disinformation system, known as the public, public education. They're not taught about 
how Andrew Jackson railed against the banks and was uh, almost assassinated over his uh, uh, elimination of the central, the third central bank in the United States. Um, you know, there's there's a book out there, something called something The Lion. He was he, Andrew Jackson was called something Lion. I can't remember the exact title, maybe just The Lion, but it's all about his struggle against the central banks and. Uh, of course, you know, he's vilified, too, as the guy who killed a bunch of Indians. So every, no, nobody's hands are clean inside that 10-square-mile uh, uh, insane uh, area called the District of Columbia. And if if the quote mm. is applicable that we just heard, if if controlling debt controls a nation and enslaves people into debt, then the United States is one of the world's biggest debtor nations now, making its citizens, those that are obligated to pay that debt, uh, the greatest debt slaves on the planet. Would that be a way to put it? Oh, I I think we're top of the heap. Yeah. I concur. Um, It just reminded me of a a clip I meant to get. Dang it. Oh, well. Um, Corey, what... uh, What's shaking Those, out in California? The framers knew. Oh, oh boy, the framers. Oh, am I losing me? No, you're good. You're good. Oh, okay. I don't know what that yeah, was. Yeah, the, the framers knew this was uh, an issue. Debt is a huge problem. And at least in, in California's original constitution, that debt, while they viewed it sometimes it might be necessary, by constitutional mandate, it could not go over $300,000. Really? That's right in the 1849 Constitution. There's a hard limit constitutionally on how much debt that state could go into. And, uh, of course, bankers aren't going to like that because they want to extend way more credit than $300,000 to a state. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a piece out there. I meant to pull it up. It's uh, Recently, there was a report done in California that the uh, in the next five years, the amount taxpayers are going to have to contribute to the state government pension fund is going to go from five billion to ten billion in five oh, years. Yeah. It's going to double what you guys have to yeah. contribute. That's one of the predictions about all this tax confiscation and uh, and so forth. As far as the transportation fund, remember the the state is saying there's a hundred and thirty one billion dollars, and we'll get into this a little bit more. But the, there's a hundred and thirty one billion dollar backlog of uh, road projects. They already got that money, and they're saying, well, there hasn't been a tax increase in you know 25 years. Well, that doesn't mean they haven't gotten more money because the taxes are a percentage of what you're paying, right? So if you're paying a dollar for gas, you get a percentage of that dollar. But if you're paying $4 a gallon for gas, you get a percentage of that $4. The state is collecting more money now than it's ever collected before, and the pension fund is, you know, I mean, it's just straight up theft. It's, hey, we're going to have these golden parachutes. We're going to have these pension funds where, uh, you know, in fact, this just came up a couple of days ago. A gentleman I was having a conversation with, he said his brother is retired from the sheriff's department. And he's got a $19,000 a month salary coming in. And Wow. You know, 19 grand a month. Now, he, he retired fairly high up. But come on, retiring, he, he, I mean, wow. he's, he's, pre, he's pretty young. Uh, he gets a small, he didn't pitch into Social Security, so he gets a small amount from Social Security. 
But um, but he worked for the sheriff's department and he didn't do social security. Yeah, a lot of times here in California, uh, his sheriff's the department that he's in is up north, and um, the I know various police agencies here they're able to pay into their own pension fund or participate in their own pension fund and not have to pay into social security. Huh. That's oh, interesting. Yeah, you get another rules for us, rules for them. Oh, I, I, I mean, regular Joe Blow who works at the factory can't do that. No, of course. In fact, not. I, I'm aware of people that work for uh, big corporations that that their own they can't they can't even direct what's coming out of their paycheck into a certain like. They, a friend of mine wanted to invest in Peter Schiff's uh, Pacific. Uh, global account over it is that, that's got some For a 401k yeah and they said oh no it's oh, not on the list no, no, can't, yeah can't no, do it no of course not but a sheriff's deputy can defer into his own deal oh yeah sheriff's department wow. you know, sheriff's deputy if the department has set up where their employees i know like the santa Ana police department um they they don't participate in social security they have their own retirement plan that no matter how that retirement plan performs the taxpayer's on the hook to guarantee some pretty, you know, spectacular benefits. And very little comes out of the pocket of the people who are serving. It's in- incredibly lucrative to work for government in California. Uh, did you, uh, and we have some clips we're going to get to about gas in California. This is about uh, transportation as well, this latest thing. I, Jesse, supporter of the show, Jesse sent me this a few weeks ago. I finally am remembering to get to this, but. A trucker was accused of using fishing line to beat the George uh, W. Bush Bridge. Did you hear about this? No, no, but I want to hear it. Yeah, um, I'll put a uh, link in Skype for you here, real quick. But uh, this guy, much like the uh, the show Goldfinger, that's being you know where, where the license plate just moved on the yeah, car. Yeah. Right? He hooked uh, up a, a fishing line in his to the front of his license plate that would go when he went through tolls. He could pull the line, and the plate would just. Zzz, zip back up inside the right the, the uh um bumper or whatever you want to call it the the rig and yeah. uh so he, uh he approached the toll booth on the george washington bridge from the i misspoke the george george washington bridge from the fort lee new jersey side port authority police officer george quineski watched the truck which had no front license plate blow through the easy pass lane without paying the toll and um <laughs> So he didn't pay the toll, and uh, he pulled over the truck, and the Port Authority police discovered a quick and dirty modification of the truck that would have made uh, Desmond Llewellyn proud. I'm not sure who that is. The vehicle's front plate was rigged on a hinge with a monofilament fishing line that ran into the cab and ended on the dash where the suspect controlled it to conceal the plate and then restore the plate into view after exiting the toll and security cameras. Uh, this spokesperson told the NewJersey.com. New a video shot by the police officer shows that the fishing line modification the driver could pull the plate up behind the truck's bumper to hide it from view. Had it worked, the trick would have saved driver Javier Marte $126 in tolls. Now Marte is looking at much more than the fines and legal fees. He was charged with tampering with public records, theft of services, and possession manufacture of burglars' tools. Oh, Yeah. The possession manufactured charge was brought against him because, according to Pentalago, the spokesperson, he allegedly used the fishing line to facilitate the crime. Now, I, I, the reason Jesse sent me this was the, he flagged tampering with public records. Right, right. Now, that yeah. speaks volumes right there. Right. I, I thought I paid for this plate. You know, it's, no. it's not mine. 
No. It's a public record. Yes, it is their plate. Even though you it's paid a for it. Record, not subject to public records act requests, though. Really? Well, at least in California, it's not. What do you mean? Well, um, do you remember the TV show Mork and Mindy? Sure. So the the female actor in that show was... Um, uh, we'll call her Mindy. Sorry. It was... She had a younger sister. Mindy, yeah. the, the character, had a younger sister, and there was a spinoff. At least I think I'm getting, it was a long time ago. There was a spinoff of the Mork and Mindy show where it was Mindy and her younger sister, huh. something like that. And somebody had developed, you know, an insane, began to stalk this young girl and got her information from the license plate because you used to be able to go to the DMV and get that information. Like if somebody cut you off or they hit your car or something like that, you could go get their information from the DMV, fill out a form and and submit it. Well, this Track guy filled out a form, got her information and shot and killed her. Oh my and gosh. So, yeah, the uh, immediately there was a you know knee jerk reaction to um, uh, to make all license plates uh, not sub their public record because it's public property, but they're not subject to the Public Records Act request in California. That's twisted. And by the way, Desmond Llewellyn. Yeah, uh, that's Q from uh, the, the ah, James Bond. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, that's a that's a conundrum though. I, I could see where there would be a, a gut. You know, reaction if if some stalker used the license plates to track somebody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I mean, you could track them by following them to Starbucks, and you know, I mean, there's all. Right. I mean, I, I eh. this guy was so crazy that he would have figured out a way to get to her house. Um, he got her license plate number from the studio watching her leave and got the license plate number. At least that's my understanding. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going off of memory from a long time ago and that's okay. I have a really good memory. It's just short. Yeah. We've heard that. Uh, Yeah. So, um, (laughs) well, I am intrigued by tampering with public records. It just, I think illustrates the dichotomy or the, 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 um, the nuance that there is that you think you you own what you, you your car you think you own you know frankly yourself and and here you are you go to the DMV and you pay for the plate or actually in in, in Iowa it's the the treasurer's office the county treasurer is where you get the plate not the DMV so I take that back I don't know if that's the same in California does it does the DMV issue plates or does the treasurer's office well maybe Corey's uh. Call ended. It dropped. So much for our workaround. Corey. Dropped call. So does the DMV or does the treasurer's office in in your county uh, issue plates? Uh, It's the DMV that issues the plates. Oh, that's different here. It's the treasurer here. Um, So uh, anyway, uh, your your plate is public record. All right. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, their property. And theft of services. Now, that's an interesting one. What? What? How, how did he steal services? Well, you, you got to look at the, the way registration was sold to the public. You know, it was mm-hmm. sold as, hey, what if somebody steals your car? We have no way of finding it. Um, and, you know, a long time ago, California. Because, because the thief like, wouldn't take the plates off. They'd leave them on. Of course. Yeah. yeah. They, they wouldn't. They wouldn't do that. Um, 
but in <laughs> California, I mean, they called them license plate or they call them license plates today, but that's not what it was called. It was called an identification plate when they first came out, and it wasn't issued by the government. It was issued by the Automobile Association. And it was a way for you to make a, you know, for a, a small amount of money, this association would create a plate. Quickly, the government realized, well, wait a minute, <laughs> we got an idea. How about if you just pay just a couple of dollars and then we'll just keep a record of everything in it and you can have your automobile registered with us. And pretty soon the state took over the manufacturer of all license plates in California. It wasn't done by the Automobile Association anymore. And, um, wow. you, know, you, you just, you start moving down a couple of generations. Cause remember that was several generations ago. And if people kind of wake up today and just see license plates everywhere and just this belief of you have to have license plates, well, you know, there, there is, I'm not aware of any law that says every person must register their car. There, there are statutes that say if your automobile or if something with four wheels doesn't have a license plate on it and it's on a public road, they can tow it. But that's one of the statutes in California that I would suggest as a 14th Amendment citizen, you have no standing to challenge, but an Article 4 citizen does. Right, right. It's it's important. It's a key distinction. Yeah, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think it is. So, yeah, that so much of this is right in your face. The uh, the guest host for next week would use the very same term um, in a conversation we had last night, kind of prepping for next week. That you know, if I'm wrong, then what is your definition of this in the regulations for taxes? It's going to be a very interesting show. I kind of jumped the gun a little bit there. That's okay. I think I found this clip I want to play that's a little bit germane to what we're talking about. And this was a piece on uh, morning edition of NPR on April 13th about the uh, Myanmar, which I think Uh, is Myanmar. Myanmar. In Bangladesh, I believe, is also known as. And the introduction in the... The setup that the uh, uh, reporter did here struck a nerve with me. I, I didn't. I'm doing this on the fly. Let's see if I caught this. When, when you say Myanmar, you're saying Burma, right? Like M Y A N M A R. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Burma. So I got him. All right, hold on here. Well, this was prompted by two separate incidents involving attacks against Myanmar security forces by Rohingya militants. The first in early October. The second in November. Attacks which killed more than a dozen police and soldiers. And this completely shocked Myanmar's military because the Rohingya had been cowed for so long. This act of resistance not only caught the military by surprise, it embarrassed them. And their response was brutal. It was collective punishment against the civilian population they accused of harboring the militants. And that's why the people fled across the border. Is this the first time the Rohingya have been targeted like this? No, the Rohingya have been targeted for for decades by Myanmar's military. And you have to remember, Rachel, that the Myanmar government, they don't really consider the Rohingya to be citizens. They're part of a Muslim minority. And Myanmar's Buddhist-majority government say they're basically illegal immigrants from Bangladesh, even though they've been in Myanmar's Rakhine state for centuries. They're almost totally disenfranchised. They want to marry. They have to get permission from the authorities. They want to visit people in distant villages. They have to get permission for them living under the Buddhist majority government. It's like being in one big internment camp. Hmm. What are those attributes? Where, where, where do I recognize those? You want to get married, Corey? You got to get permission. 
You want to visit right. somebody across the travel travel across the land? You got to get permission. Uh, it, it sounds like an internment camp. Where have we heard those uh, restrictions before? It, if if you do a quick search on what type of government Burma is, it is an absolute. Well, also known as Myanmar, um, it is an absolute police state under a military dictatorship and it's been that way for 60 years it's a closed country um it's uh one there's been a civil war that's been ongoing there for a really long time and the government has uh, like all these bad things you can see when you when you look at burma from the outside looking in it's almost like you can tell the people, well, wait a minute, you know, your government's out of control. Here, the problem is the government, and uh, I don't know, I, I see I, a lot of, of uh, similarities between the United States and Burma in its structure. And the framers, you know, they knew that the national power had this, this just uh, tendency to become a, a dictatorship. So they didn't put a whole lot of restrictions on the national power. The framers didn't. What they did was they just made the national power something that had no citizens of its own. It's, it's I don't know. I, That's I'm, key. It's critical. Right. And, and, and I just wish reporters would, when they make these, these uh, cast these negative uh, descriptions on, on, from afar. I mean, like, look inside a little bit, guy. You know, I mean, you just described exactly what it's like in America. Granted, you, 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 there's not as much, you know, in our face militantism. There's more. Police state has been on the rise for decades. Right. But you still got to get permission. Subtle, but the yeah. power and threat is still there. Yeah. They have to get permission for them living under the Buddhist majority government. It's like being in one big internment camp. Our internment camp is beautiful. I'll give you that. It's gorgeous. We have a beautiful internment camp. But it won't stay that way because it is at the present being operated like an internment camp. Yeah. So anyway, I just when I heard that, you know, just getting ready one morning listening to the national propaganda radio, I just went, oh, wait a second. <laughs> I think he's describing where we live. Right. I mean, you know, I, I'll be married 20 years uh, next week, and you know, had I known then what I know now, we you know probably wouldn't have a marriage license. You know, I mean, that's just you know, what 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 do we need that for? You know, technically, you know, we're you, you know, you got married in a church. Either you're, you're you're committed or you're not. You don't need that piece of paper to be committed to your partner. You know, it's it's just it's crazy. You know, if you go, if you go to a wedding, this is something I recognized. Um, Oh, a few years ago, I, and I don't know how pervasive it is, but but take note. Every wedding I've been to in the past four or five years, the pastor of the church has asked a question somewhere along the lines of, are you here to perform a civil wedding ceremony? Oh, yes. I have now, heard that. You're absolutely right. right. And And they always say yes. And that's exactly why you need a license is because you're, right. you're telling them I'm here to get, I'm here for permission from the government. The church is the surrogate. Exactly. The church is now, you know. Well, they have a 501c3. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Which means they're a U.S.-based church. And, you know, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're connection the connection between church and god is now filtered by the overlords in washington dc yeah it is fascinating and uh 
if you you'd be, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a, a mainstream uh, organized religious um, group. Pick one: Lutheran, Catholic, Jewish, whatever the you know ones are out there uh, to not ask that question. I bet. So you might be able to find somebody to you know quote wedge you, if you will, without asking that question, without an application. But what are the ramifications of not having that piece of paper in the rest of modern life on the U.S. plantation? I'm sorry, on the federal, uh, in the federal zone. I got to quit being yeah. so pejorative yeah. and calling it a plantation. Oh, <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it comes down to stuff like your, your taxes. You know, the, uh, um, you know what I'm talking about? God dang. Oh, of course. Yeah. You're, exemptions. You're, the exemptions on taxes, the right. the uh, insurance um, status with the bank, if you're going to borrow money for a house. I mean, all kinds of tertiary and, and, and other impacts happen with or without that, that piece of paper from the government about your marriage. So it's a cultural thing. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to get people not to go through those motions right now. Of course. Yeah. I mean, they're, the group of people who don't want to go through those Yep. The group of people that don't want to go through those motions. And we're... We, Motion. They're not mainstream people. Uh, well, that sounded weird. Did you hear that? Yeah, you cut out again, man. It's still oh, happening, despite right. our efforts. I don't know. It must be my end. But the group of people that, don't, that are willing to not go through those motions of the civil uh, approval and just be, you know, wed, committed to each other in the, in the eyes of their creator... Um, well, know. they're, they're derived like the term common law marriage, it, mm-hmm. you know, you hear the term common law marriage and it's, it's typically used in a derogatory way, you know, to basically say, oh, it's just two people living together. But a common law marriage is simply, it's a marriage that is recognized by a, some sort of religious authority recognized by the people and has nothing to do with the state. It's between the husband, wife, and, uh, you know, their God, how, however they perform that ceremony in, in conjunction with a, um, a recognized religious authority, but it, it has nothing to do with the state. And that was how it was originally set up in California. The 1849 constitution prevents the state from getting involved in divorce proceedings. It, it, the state just doesn't even have power for it. And, the reason for that, I, I would imagine, is if you look at the divorce courts today, if, if you look at what a mess they are and how horrible they are and, and how attorneys just, they see two people at the probably the lowest point in their life and they're fighting each other and the attorneys will just throw a piece of meat right in the middle and say, go at it. And the courts facilitate the whole thing, draining both parties of resources all the while, they're claiming, "Oh, we got to protect the kids." Um, it, it's it, it's no wonder that the framers said, "Look, we don't want government involved in marriages. Make people work it out in you know in their systems of faith that they had." Yet there was still, you know, you have uh, feminists who will say, "Oh, what about you know women's rights and so forth? Women had no rights." Well, the rights were different, but. Women did have rights. You know, it it was not easy for um, people to go through a divorce, even if the state is not involved. 
Um, well, there'll be so, some people who might point to this discussion and say, well, it's voluntary. You know, the, in, in Myanmar, yeah, they, they have to get permission to get married. That's a dictatorship. But here, it's voluntary. You walk up to the courthouse and, and you volunteer to get that. Well, actually, okay, try and get a, a marriage license without paying some money, without handing over part of your labor, part right. of the sweat of the equity of your sweat. That's not uh, volunteered. That is and, coercion. And in order for it to be voluntary, truly voluntary, then the government we have has an absolute obligation to guarantee to the people the government that was described in Texas v. White, that original state government, that that Article 4 citizenship. They're, they're required to guarantee that. Instead, what they do is hide the whole thing. They prevent you from accessing it force you into a situation like with me, the, they manufactured the consent via their authority to prosecute. They manufactured the consent for me to have a driver's license. And uh, that that is not consent. There is no difference between, um, in my opinion, there's no difference between the way Myanmar operates and the way the present state of California is operating in that if they can force me to have a driver's license and force me to waive all my rights, then there is no constitution that they're operating under. They're operating under just corporate policy, and that can be changed however they want. All you have to do to to uh, you know realize that is look at red flex and red light cameras in California. They were declared unconstitutional. Red flex pays an attorney, which is not a U.S. corporation, by the way. They pay an attorney a, a relatively small amount of money. They put something on, and they're able to push through uh, a change. I forgot exactly how it is, but now red light cameras are completely legal. You can't even question it anymore. What did I, you mean an attorney is not a U.S. corporation? Um, is, is that red what you said? Flex is, red Flex is not oh, a U.S. Oh, Red Flex is not. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, red sorry. Red Flex is a, uh, I believe they're an Australian corporation. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, and so, uh, you know, the, the whole idea behind fines, you know, traffic fines and stuff, that was kind of like the cussing jar. You put money in the cussing jar and you end up buying the office, uh, you know, some sort of party or something like that. But the money was supposed to go to local where you're at. And now huge amounts of money are being sent to places that are not even within the country, let alone the local area for traffic violations. It, it's evidence that a republic, you know, an open republic, an open society is very susceptible to foreign influence. And that's one prime example that should never occur. I mean, it's just these cameras that there's absolute proof that these cameras have been manipulated. So that way it will take a photo in such a way that it will image your car having entered the intersection but it didn't enter the intersection during a red light, yet the photo will show that, hey, the light's red, you're in the intersection, and now you can't question, you know, you can't question the guy that calibrated the camera, you can't question all sorts of stuff. Um, all because you don't have standing to challenge that because you have a driver's license. With a rule of law and an atmosphere of ordered liberty. Let's uh let's t go to your uh, California package here, Corey. You uh, yeah. put together yeah. some info today. I've got three clips. One is uh, Justice Breyer, but I think that's separate from the California deal, right? It is, yeah. Okay, so you want me to start with clip two? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's go with uh, clip two. Let's see. That is um, 
Yeah, yeah, that's an audio file. Mm -hmm. And that just discusses, you know, recently the uh, gas tax. They keep calling it a gas tax, but you'll hear it, it. It's not really truly a tax. It's just the government deciding this is what we're going to do. It's not like the the people are voting on this directly. Yet they kind of make it seem like, oh, somebody voted for it because they, they do a few interviews anyway. Uh, have California a listen. California lawmakers just approving this controversial plan to raise gas and vehicle taxes to raise $5 billion a year for road repairs. Within the hour, the assembly passed. Just happens to be the same amount that they're going to need to increase their uh, pension fund. But hold Oh, on. that's what we're getting to, yeah. It passed the state Senate earlier tonight with a 27 to 11 vote. SB1 calls for a... Wow, think about that. 38 people determining a $5 billion levy. A year. A year. A year plan. Yeah. And one guy, uh, I didn't go into it a whole lot on this, but one guy who was a Republican, he, he, they had one Democrat hold out saying no, and they needed one Republican to take his place. This. Yep. And Governor Brown offered him $500 million worth of projects in his district to say yes. <laughs> and he took it. Gas taxes and car registration fees to pay for road repairs across the state. Republicans were against it. They say money has been misspent for years and drivers shouldn't have to pay for it. Democrats say we need the tax increase or the roads will continue to fall apart. They say it will also improve the state's infrastructure. Governor Jerry Brown, who's been behind the bill, is cheering his victory tonight. But tonight we did something. There's real money. And people can't afford it. And I found it very interesting. Uh, people can afford it? Is that what he said? Yes, he said people can afford it. And wait, this little next part wow. here is just completely made up. Because this guy does not go out and hang out with poor people. Or regular people. Or anybody. Other right, than his elites, right. I'm sure. Yeah. And I found it very interesting uh, when so many people that represent the most number of poor people said, we're voting for this because of the jobs, because it helps build prosperity. So the gas tax will increase... Wait a second. Let me replay that. I think I fast-forwarded instead of rewound it. Hold on. Uh, ...when so many money and people can't afford it. And I found it very interesting uh, when so many people that represent the most number of poor people said, we're voting for this because of the jobs, because it helps build prosperity. So the gas tax will increase by 12 cents per gallon. Vehicle registration wow. fees will go up an average of $48 per car per year, all based on the value of your car. And electric cars will pay $100 extra every year since they don't pay any gas taxes. As you just heard, Governor Brown excited about this. He negotiated the bill, promoted it around the state, and of course is expected to sign it. Back to you in the studio. What a dutiful state media there they are. Oh, man. No questioning, so, you know, nothing. Right, right. There, there's an article. I just sent you the um, uh, thing. This was on April 7th from CBS Sacramento. And the, the opening, I mean, to me, it's, it's kind of interesting how they even worded it. I'm surprised they did. Uh, uh, this is from the AP. It says, how much is one vote worth in the California State Senate? Half a billion dollars if it's linked to a big tax hike to pay for overdue road repairs. 
Now remember that that's the thing is this this state they're already taxing people for these roads and the provision for those road taxes is that there's a little thing in there that the governor is allowed to say, you know what, if we need this money for something else, I reserve the right to be able to use it for something else. Guess what's in the new road taxes? The carve out to use it for something else. Exactly. The exact same carve outs in there. They can, the governor can decide that the funds are better spent somewhere else and can spend those funds anywhere he wants. And then the thing that's freaking crazy is they still will publish information that would lead the average person to believe that that money was spent on roads. That they're able to say that, oh, th- this money from, you know, th- this is how much we spent out of the transportation fund on infrastructure, road repairs, stuff like that, because they're not obligated to tell you that the vast majority of that went to, you know, uh, support a retirement fund or, you know, go to the uh, high-speed rail project in California that is a absolute gigantic boondoggle. Um, it's not high-speed rail. The contractors are going to make, not going, they are already making huge amounts, and of course these contractors are all Jerry Brown's friends, making huge amounts of money on a train from nowhere, going nowhere, that is not high speed. And completely neglecting the roads. Um, You know, as far as looking at the warning in 1027.5 of the government code, where you have people who will come in and try and destroy the government, from the inside what a great way to do it just destroy the infrastructure bankrupt the state tax people into poverty and now you've got uh, a, a nation that it's virtually impossible for the people to stand up for them themselves and and require the government to operate in a certain way this this money this five billion a year is not going to go five billion dollars is not going to go to the roads when in fact they're collecting many billions more that isn't going to the roads already. It's just rewarding them for bad behavior. And I don't know how many people are in the House. I didn't hear the vote count. I mean, there's 38 people in the Senate and the state legislature. Now, keep in mind, people new to to Agenda 31, we assert that that state legislature is not truly the one of the several states. They're not representatives of the, they're not, they're not legislators within one of the several states. They're legislators within a, one of the 50 divisions of the federal government called the state of California. And, and I'd go even a step further that their entire authority to exist is because the several state California stopped sending representatives who qualify to be representatives for that state according to the 1849 constitution california stops sending representatives in which triggers the 14th amendment wait wait you saying that california stopped sending representatives into the several state legislature or stopped sending congress people to the federal legislature well both okay um, you don't you don't have people anymore who are qualified to hold office in California according to the 1849 constitution meeting and and doing their part-time job because it's it's a part-time job not a full-time job like we see today the actual several state legislature as the legislature is described in the 1849 constitution is a part-time affair it has very limited um, uh, limited, authority 
Um, and it was designed to be that way, and it's very difficult to change it. But with the 14th Amendment, if you can trick people into no longer showing up and just nobody shows up, uh, which is what happened with the states that seceded from the Union during the Civil War, the 14th Amendment has a provision for um, providing representation. In theory, it's there to guarantee that the, the people of that state are able to keep their own government, but it's operated under the authority and the direct executive authority of the president. Um, a situation that's never happened uh, is, and, and this is why it's so important for others to aver Article Four citizenship. Obviously, we've got to get wins at the personal level, but then what would happen? It's a very interesting thought exercise. What would happen if there were members from, uh, from all the counties that were able to fulfill the offices? They qualify. In other words, they have absolutely no connection to the federal government. They qualify to hold office in California under the 1849 Constitution. And people from every county, enough to make a quorum, begin to meet. Could you unseat the existing legislature? Well, I, I would propose I would propose that you wouldn't have to necessarily unseat them; that they would just continue to operate and tax the U.S. citizens that raise their hand to be on that plantation. Yeah, I would. I I, I agree that they would still have that authority to tax those uh, people on the plantation, but would they have the authority to sit in Washington D.C. as a representative of California? That would that's a very fascinating question to look at because the I don't think that. Um, my personal opinion is no, I don't think they would. I think that they would be relegated to the administrative positions that they are, and it, it wouldn't stop that. In other words, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're subject to whatever they do, and they might meet and create their own meeting place within their administrative rules, but they would no longer have authority to uh, represent the state at the federal level in Washington, D.C. Also, uh, in the state facilities here in California, they might be able to meet in those state facilities, but they would no longer be the state government. It's a very fascinating question, and it's never happened. Uh, we're a little ways away from actually making that happen, but the numbers aren't that crazy. I'm sure that you know once there's a, a win that is clearly articulated, and that win turns on the idea of uh, averring Article Four citizenship while no longer accessing or have anything to do with U.S. citizenship, um, you know, the amount of people required to actually take that to the test would really just fill a room. I mean, it's not well, that many the challenge people. is that the, the, the path that you just explained, and, and it's one that needs to be taken, uh, will more than likely require litigation at the Supreme Court. To, oh, of to course, get it, absolutely. To, to get it, one hundred percent, and and that would you know ostensibly would be expedited with the assistance of dare dare I say the word attorney, because attorneys do understand that uh, the, the uh, let me put it this way, the attorney that has the most potential to assist that from occurring will not step forward because that class of uh, people stand the most to lose by proving this concept. Yeah. In fact, to make a prediction that if this event were to happen, if we were in the future to be at a point where we have enough right now, it's 40 and 80. There's 40 in the um, Senate and there's 80 in the um, 
the house in California. Wow. I think that's how it works. Wow. Um, so it's 120 people, plus you have other officers listed in the government. So let's say you have 150 people properly distributed amongst the different counties who are able to step up and show that they qualify to hold office under 1849. I predict that there wouldn't be a single attorney to assist that group of people at the Supreme Court level, that it would be completely up to them uh, to be able to make that fight. And I mean, you're basically discussing this, you're discussing a form of a civil war. I mean, you're completely unseating from power and entrenched executive authority, mainly occupied by attorneys. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You have another clip here on the gas thing. Let's, let's play this. Uh, this is, oh, this is about high speed rail and Eric Christian. So Eric Christian, this is the, you got to see the connection between the gas tax hike. They mentioned that, you know, some of that money will go to public transportation, um, and public transportation in California is a fantastic way to just steal, literally just steal from the California people. It's a great way for the governor, Jerry Brown, all of his cronies to be able to force, um, huge amounts of profits into, you know, the, the coffers of the people that control the state. This is like a seven minute clip, but it, it um, Christian or Eric, I'm sorry, Eric Kristen is his name. He is a leader for the Coalition of Ethical Employment in California. And the thing is, the, the unions are making people who have no union benefits at all have to pay union dues. And that, but they get no union benefits, no union representation. They get nothing from the union. Anti-authoritarian, anti-establishment. Oh, I apologize. Go ahead. That's Sorry, right. my arm hit that. And the very opening of the clip is on this high-speed high rail project, which is one of the most expensive projects in U.S. history. Uh, they had a, uh, a, a time for public comment, and they allowed for literally, you'll hear it, literally 30 seconds of comment after you know people who basically filibustered the, um, uh, the event where there was public comment, and Eric Christensen of the Coalition for Ethical Employment in California um, went in. He wanted to make some public comment. The, the very beginning opens with this, but this is from uh, Reason.tv, and it, it's worth the seven minutes because you'll hear how he relates that the unions and other big political bosses in the state are really controlling everything, and the average person is just absolutely getting screwed. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, here we go. Project, if I could have no, thank you. I would appreciate it if you would submit your comments. We only have. A I'm sorry, ma'am. It's a $68 billion project. If I could have. No, thank you. I would appreciate it if you would submit your comments. We only have about two I'm minutes sorry, left. But it's a project, and there are largest project you. in the United States history. And if I could have more than a minute. Why are these toads on the DS such pawns to the overlords? It's incredible when you watch this. It is. It's out of hand. It it's insane. Really I'm so sorry we don't have the room. 
Hi, I'm Scott Shackford with Reason.com and Reason TV, and I am here with Eric Christen from the Coalition for Fair Employment in Construction. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Scott. Your coalition is involved in California with what we call Project Labor Agreements, and in particular right now with what's going on with California's high-speed rail project. So to start with, tell us a bit about what a Project Labor Agreement is and why we should be concerned. Absolutely. They're typically 30 to 60-page documents that govern the uh, building of any construction project, and when unions uh, what we refer to as unions put these into place, all workers that work on them have to, for all intents and purposes, become union for the duration of the project. What happens if a, a, a municipality or a, a developer resists a project labor agreement? What if they don't want a PLA? Well, that's what we help them do. We help provide them with the insight as to why this isn't a good deal for them. And uh, we provide them information, data, empirical evidence about why these are bad and why they're harmful and why it will raise their costs. What is the relationship between project labor agreements and the high-speed rail that's being developed here in California? Union leaders. Uh, the connection is in this state, despite the fact that in the construction industry as in the industry as a whole, constructions only represent less than one out of every five workers, the reality is, is they have very deep pockets and in this state they're very powerful. So what they do is they try and get these placed on as many projects as possible because you can imagine non-union workers paying union dues and paying into union health, welfare, and pension plans that they will never benefit from. That's free money to the unions. One of the things that really, as you've learned, I'm sure, with high-speed rail is the secret level of secrecy is really remarkable. Uh, they are not out front with regards to anything. We really had a dig and we found the project labor agreement referenced under uh, a euphemism, uh, Orwellian, if you will, of, of a community benefit agreement. <laughs> uh, well, who could be opposed to the community benefiting right. from something? And when we read it, it was a typical PLA that says you have to do all those things. So what they did is they understood that we've kind of given PLAs a black eye, so they didn't want to make this very public. They were hoping it would just kind of sneak through, but we found it. And what you had was the head of the Building and Construction Trades Council of California sitting on the high-speed rail authority board so we know where it came from. How has your coalition been responding to the situation? The head of the AFL-CIO in that state sitting on the board of the high-speed rail commission is what he just said. Yeah, exactly. Right. Education is the first thing we're doing. Last night we had a press conference that was uh, well attended in San Diego because San Diego residents need to understand that even though only 48% of them supported Prop 1A back in 2008, they're being asked to pay uh, the equivalent, equivalent amount of the voters in San Francisco that voted 72% in favor of Prop 1A. And so education is a big part of it. It is going on. Most people are still in disbelief it's even happening. They just thought that this boondoggle would kind of collapse of its own weight. Right. Uh, we are educating them. No, it's real. It's happening. And oh, by the way, it also has, if, as if it needed any other reason to oppose it, it has this monopoly agreement on it that basically punishes any worker that's not union. Number two, we're helping to fund the lawsuit, which on May 31st will be going to court. Uh, we believe, and the proponents of this believe, that it is in violation of Prop 1A to about six, in, in about six different instances. Can you give me an example of, you know, the most important reason it's in violation of? of sure, absolutely. This has to make it from Los Angeles to San Francisco in two hours and 40 minutes. That just simply can't be done. That's number one. So okay. they're, they're lying to people when they say this is a 200 and whatever they use, 220 mile an hour high speed rail. When, when the governor came in, Governor Brown, and saw that the price tag was in excess of $100 billion, he knew he was in trouble. This right. thing was taking on water. How do we change it? What they did is they went from a high speed rail system to what's known as a blended system, where they have to essentially use 
Amtrak rails going through Los Angeles. So you, you only get high speeds when you're in about the middle of the state and you get up maybe to 200 miles an hour. Everywhere else you're going 70 to 100 miles an hour, so it's not really high-speed rail. They need to keep saying it goes 220 miles an hour so they can make that two hour and 40 minute time uh, work out, but it really doesn't. And they say that they won't have any uh, subsidies for it. Unfortunately, the governor let the cat out of the bag and said, of course it's gonna have to be subsidized because our ridership levels are never gonna be met, therefore we're going to have to have some subsidies. Now, he's since backtracked from that, but the reality is, as everybody knows, is that this isn't going to be making money, it's going to be taking money. If it was going to be making money, Wall Street and the private sector would be putting money into this. Your organization, your coalition, you recently attempted to speak at a hearing in Sacramento about the high-speed rail project. What happened at this hearing? Well, it, it was something I would imagine would be akin to what you'd find happening in you know, some kind of North Korean uh, parliamentary uh, event where you get up to speak after 59 minutes of having the bureaucrats speak and say nothing. It was just they had to do this because the law mandates that they go before the uh, legislature and say here's what's going on. They spoke for 59 minutes. The uh, chairwoman, uh, Bonnie Lowenthal out of Long Beach said, well we only have a minute left where we, this room has to be turned over to another group so we have a minute of public comments. Well I got up, I was the first speaker and said ma'am I apologize but the largest pro most expensive project in human history I think deserves a little bit more than 30 seconds of our time. She, we had a back and forth and essentially what they did is they tried to shut it down. Well I, stuck, I stood around in that room for an hour and that room remained empty. Finally I left after an hour and a half. There was no other meeting. There was an attempt to keep the public out of this not asking any questions that make it people uncomfortable, and it was really quite remarkable. So they allowed about 30 seconds of public comments on this. Labor unions are, are pretty powerful in, in California, especially in relationship with the government. Um, how, what is your avenue for success? What does success look like for, for your organization? In this state where we really are outmanned, outgunned, and you know they have pockets that are much deeper than ours, what we do is we, 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 we really approach this using a very non-linear approach. We have to be flexible, we have to be smart, we have to be unpredictable. So what we're doing is we're becoming involved with groups from the left and the right because this isn't just opposed by, if you look at the new field poll that came out with regards to where people are in this, if it was on the ballot today, Prop um, 1A would go down 60 to 40. Democrats are becoming increasingly opposed to this, Republicans obviously, independents, uh, people who just see this as a boondoggle. So what we're doing is we're reaching out to a broad cadre of folks and saying, this is still moving forward. How can we work together? How can we raise money for the Prop 1A lawsuit? How do we keep this in the media? So it's really a nonlinear, multifaceted approach because we don't have the resources that the other side does. All right, well, thank you very much for your time. This is Eric Kristen with the Coalition for Fair Employment in Construction. Thank you very much. Thank you. For Reason TV, I'm Scott Shackford. So, it out. Go back to bed, America. Your government has figured out how it all transpired. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control again. Nothing to see here on 1A. It's all good. So, here's some interesting information about Bonnie Lowenthal. She's the one that you could hear saying, I'm sorry, we just don't have the time. You know, we've only got two minutes left and there's other people behind you. So, Oh, and, and we have another meeting. We have another meeting taking over the room. Was there, was there right. a real excuse? Another yeah. meeting that's taking over the room that never occurred. Bonnie Lowenthal was married to Alan Lowenthal, who is now a congressman. Bonnie Lowenthal, she had an unsuccessful bid to be the mayor of Long Beach. 
in her campaign uh, to show you how disconnected these people are. On her campaign website, she had a city skyline that was not Long Beach. You know, it was portrayed <laughs> as being Long Beach. But the the real point is that she was married to Alan Lowenthal, who is a presently serving congressman. Um, he's the he serves in the U.S. Congress for California's 47th district, which I believe includes Los uh, parts of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Um, I could be wrong of exactly where he's at. But the reason why Alan Lowenthal is so important and, and how you can see how all this is connected is Alan Lowenthal ran a bill that was vetoed by um, uh, the Terminator governor. <laughs> it was vetoed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was where Alan Lowenthal wanted to repeal California Government Code 1027.5. That's the warning. Oh, that's right. Code. He's the guy that wanted to repeal the warning about communism uh, taking over California government from within. Exactly. Wow. You see how these bastards are all inbred? So you're saying Alan Lowenthal was also a so-called state legislator as well before he became he a was, federal congressperson. Yes. Okay, got it. All right. Now he's a federal congressperson. Um, and we should probably Bonds say now, national. We should say national congressperson because federal right. would actually denote one of the several states. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. National. So national congressman. Um, now Bonnie, I, I believe they're divorced, but Bonnie is now in the California State Assembly, and they were obviously of like mind. I mean, you just look at the way they operate. They're these are just disgusting people when it comes to protecting the sovereignty and the uh, the integrity of the original state governments of this country, which is their only reason for them to be in power. Anti-authoritarian, anti-establishment politics is endemic. Nobody likes anti-authoritarian politics, Corey. Keep that shit out of here. There's no room for that. we got another meeting coming in here. Don't you know who you are? Well, you know what? My thing is I'm not anti-authoritarian. I'm pro-authoritarian, but the authority that I am, am a supporter of is the adversary in the eternal struggle between state and federal power, and they don't want that adversary ever rising up again. They conquered it. They overthrew that adversary a long time ago and then put their own players on that side to say, hey, look, we still have a game going on, but now it's like the Harlem Globetrotters. You already know who's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> also known as a... With a rule of law and an atmosphere of ordered liberty. An atmosphere of ordered liberty, <laughs> Corey. Yes. Got to maintain that atmosphere. Well, as somebody I know I'm very dear to in California says, it is truly the land of fruits and nuts. Yes, it is. Oh, my. Speaking of California, uh, I guess yesterday at Berkeley, there was a big dust up. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it's amazing that quote from Churchill about in the future, the fascists will demonstrate anti-fascism. Oh, wow. Something like that. Yeah. Often for that quote. But basically, Churchill said that, hey, you got to be careful because in the future, these people who were the fascists, they will be the anti-fascists, but they're really the fascists. And that's what we'll be fighting. Wow. Um, and you just look at, uh, do you have a clip from Berkeley? I think I do. Yeah. Hold on one second here. Let's see how I can make this work. The, the video of, of Berkeley coming out, you literally, 
there are there is kind of a dividing line. So you've got the people who identify with the left on one side, and they're wearing generally they're wearing black, and they put masks on, and they're the ones that have been documented throwing M80s into the crowd, throwing an M80, which is a uh, a significant portion of a stick of dynamite. It's a it's a you can blow your hand off with one of these. Um, he throws it into a crowd and you see an elderly woman trying to get away. Uh-oh. See an elderly woman trying to get away. And yeah, Corey, you're cutting out my friend. We're going to go ahead and you're totally gone now, Corey. Hmm. Bummer. I think I was trying to do too many things here at once and it shut her down. My apologies, everybody. We're trying to connect back to Corey. And it's not liking it. Hmm. Well, I will go ahead and play this clip while he's going to call back. Yeah, yeah, I can't get the first word. What's the first word they're saying? Hmm. They were, we just played the clip, Corey, of, of the protesters. And uh, apparently they were saying, dust our commies off our street, something like that. Oh, yeah. Now, was that the Antifa people? It's hard to tell. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to tell. But the, the thing that's fascinating coming out of Berkeley um, are you have teachers, you know, involved in, you know, ripping people who they disagree with. The, um, there was a call recently for certain types of political speech to be protected speech. In other words, you're not allowed to criticize it. Um, that criticizing certain types of protected speech would be a felony. Uh, these people are out of control. Well, apparently there was a, a nationwide protest yesterday. I, I was unaware of this, of 180 planned protests to get Trump to release his tax returns. I think this is part of that. I'm not uh, sure, which I find kind of hilarious. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's, that's what they're actually organizing around. Boy, what a bunch of resistance there is there. Um, but this LA Times article, I, I brought it up in my teaser and the e-blast out to our subscribers at Agenda31.org, um, brings up uh, you know, somebody you know well, Stuart Rhodes. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's interviewed by this uh, LA Times reporter, and, and the, the paragraph says, Stuart Rhodes, founder of the Citizen Militia Group, known as the Oath Keepers, said he came from Montana with about 50 others to protect Trump supporters. They were joined by bikers and others who vowed to fight members of an anti-fascist group if they crossed police barricades. I don't mind hitting, the counter-demonstrators, Rhodes said. In fact, I would kind of enjoy it. But Rhodes credited Berkeley police for new tactics that mostly keep the two sides apart and our side chilled and relaxed through sporadic fights broke out. Those sporadic fights broke out among both groups throughout the morning and afternoon. It's getting sporty said Oath Keeper John Karaman, 59, who was from Missouri and was among the group's party security leaders. Um, 
you know, it, this is just, it, then they go on to talk about this guy named A.J. Algier, Al, Algria, 31, of Sacramento, said he also came to Berkeley uh, to help defend Trump supporters. He said he pursued a counter-demonstrator down a side street and found himself surrounded by a dozen protesters in black masks who said, attacked him with sticks and pepper spray. These people create violence all the time. Somebody has to stand up to them. He was injured in the fight. He was treated by Trump supporters who bandaged his head, washed off the pepper spray, and gave him encouragement, saying, you've earned your stripes, bro. This is ridiculous. Well, it, it's getting pretty bad. It's, it's getting, um, it is getting ridiculous. I, I have definitely seen video where uh, people who are predominantly on the right are, uh, have been peaceful, um, using, using words, not sticks or anything. And people on the left who are in, uh, all sorts of garb that keeps their identity hidden being very antagonistic. They're looking for a fight and if they get that fight, they win. And so now you have other people who see that, who see that video have the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I saw an old man get pushed down, which I've seen happen at Berkeley. There was an old man who about, oh, probably a week or 10 days ago, uh, he was pushed down and maced and, you know, it was a mess. There was another one of the exact same thing that happened in Huntington Beach here about a week and a half ago. And it's the same thing over and over again. These people look the same. I don't know if it's the same people or not. But um, I do know personally of a group in Huntington Beach that they are practicing for this type of event and they're learning citizens arrest they're learning uh crowd control techniques mainly from uh videos that are available from the korean military for handling crowd control they're incredibly effective and easy to learn uh but the fringe ones the ones that say oh we're you know like it's getting sporty we're gonna get out there and get in into it you know where that's gonna lead there's, there's going to be gunfire at some point. It's ridiculous how people are acting um, and being taken advantage of. The, the, it's, it's, uh, it is scary, though, the inappropriate actions of people in government or, or who work for the government, mainly teachers, uh, that are in Berkeley. They, they are, uh, in my opinion, they're pretty scary. Well, I, I found it interesting that the paragraph describing Stuart, who... Who you know? There's a a uh, complicated relationship there with many listeners of Agenda Thirty One and Stuart. How, how should course. I put it? Um, you know, I've met Stuart before and seen him at uh, the sheriff's convention where you and I met. Um, yeah, yeah. And the I don't know if I he would, was a member of Oath Keepers. I've yep. separated myself from that organization. We, we've talked about that many times over the over the over a hundred episodes of Agenda Thirty One in the uh, Common Sense Revisited. We used to do on. Uh, um, Republic. Uh, gosh, man, my memory is just going bad. That's all right. I know what you're talking about. The, Republic Broadcasting. Yes, RBN, yeah. Republic Broadcasting, down in Austin. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, this this statement they they were joined by bikers, they being the Oath Keepers, and others who vowed to fight members of an anti-fascist group. So that sentence would denote that if you're pro-Trump, you're a fascist. So they're saying that. Stewart and his friends and his, the bikers and so forth are there to promote fascism because they're there to fight members of anti-fascist groups. 
Right, right. I mean, that that is such slick uh, wordsmithing. It's just, oh, yeah. it's incredible. And there, I, I, there I'm was... certain that Stewart's a lot of things, but I don't consider him a fascist. I don't consider him all about centralized authority in yeah. the hands of a few. I, I just, you know, that, that I don't I think he's... I you 100% there. He's yeah. not a fascist. Yes. So... Well, that, that is a great weapon that's being used. In fact, um, in a small city here in Los Angeles, there was a homosexual Mexican male making a pro-Trump and anti-sanctuary city statement to the city council. And the mayor of the city council said, obviously we have racists and fascists that have gotten in here. <laughs> and the guy's like, wait a minute. He's openly stayed off to try and find that clip. But they, they just go do, if you disagree with, in California, if it's just crazy how many uh off the hook liberals there are and some of these people they they truly believe that if you disagree with them on a political viewpoint then you are a fascist you're a racist you're you know you're whatever they want to call you and they believe that because their intention is good in their minds their intention is good that they couldn't possibly be wrong so it's okay for you to not have the right to free speech it's it's pretty amazing. These are generally very low information people. They can't carry on a conversation. And when you see people trying to interview them, uh, their their response is don't engage, don't talk to anybody. Corey, and, that sounds like a microaggression to me, calling somebody low information. I'm not sure I condone that type of uh, behavior. <laughs> well. This would be a good time to to prove me wrong. This would be a good time for me to uh, plug the uh, uh, affiliation we have with the No Agenda show on the No Agenda stream at noagendastream.com. You can listen to us uh, on the playback on noagendastream.com on Sundays. And throughout the rest of the week, it's on a continuous loop with all the other podcasts on noagendastream.com. We get the fortunate... uh, uh, opportunity to be played back right after the Sunday uh, uh, media deep state assassination by uh, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak, uh, founders of the No Agenda Show. They're on live right now as we speak. They go from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Central, and our show is played right after that. Now, I, w- I have to highly recommend, highly, highly recommend that if you have not listened to the No Agenda Show, you must go listen to episode 919. 919, title is We Kill. Uh, April 9th, 2017. It was last Sunday. And this most recent episode, 920, uh, that was on um, April, uh, whatever Thursday was. And episode 919 and 920. If you've never listened to No Agenda, you need to listen to these shows. They deconstruct uh, the uh, nonsense going on with Syria, with Trump, with um, uh, to, to a degree that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And I will give them credit. They remain very fluid with regards to their views. They're not trying to be, you know, rigid and say this is the way it is, and it's always this way. They're they're constantly um, uh, analyzing what is being said out there, both in the mainstream and in the non-mainstream. Now, Dvorak recently uh, talked about a piece he watched on PBS. So that's not you know like it's hidden and under a bushel basket somewhere. It was on PBS, a, a documentary about World War One. And um, I'm going to start getting some clips from from uh, some of this uh, background. But Corey, have you ever heard of the CPI, the Propaganda, uh, the Committee Cost Price Index is what I know CPI as. Committee on Public Information was formed uh-huh. during World War One, and they had seventy five thousand federal employees. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> to put that in perspective, ended up put that in perspective. The they had they had there's twenty thousand uh, intelligence uh, you know propaganda employees in the Pentagon that we know about. There were seventy five thousand right. back then, and they, according to this documentary, according to Dvorak, I need to watch the documentary myself. But uh, do a search engine for propaganda, World War One Committee on Public Information. There's lots of stuff out there. He had never heard of it. I had never heard of it. And uh, they, their focus was uh, in influencing 20,000 newspaper columns a week. Wow. About World War I. And it leads to, if you, get, you dig, if you lift the veil off of World War I, it leads to bailing out bankers. It leads to what I played at the beginning of this clip, that conflict is, is not, it's not about conflict, it's about debt. It's, it's about controlling the debt. And, uh, and so I would, I would uh, share that, that when you read something for, in the L.A. Times, you know, calling Stuart Rhodes a militia, all right, which technically he's not, and his group is not a militia. I mean, they're they're not formed like a militia. They're just. I don't, am I right on that, Corey? Am I wrong? The the Oath Keepers. Yeah, they couldn't possibly be formed as a militia because they're a U.S. organization. Exactly, and they're not fascist. So, right, but but yet fascist. that is how this paragraph read, and and I would propose that we we have the uh, even uh, in the age of social media, we have even a larger proliferation of what was founded back in 1917. So, check out the No Agenda show; you'll get a more deeper dive on that. Uh, more well, deeper. Marine Marine Major Sergeant General. Uh, he, see, he was a Major General Smedley. He was a sergeant at one. Oh point, yeah. But- he was a general. I mean, he's famous for the quote, all wars are bankers' wars. And that was based on his experience of World War One. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. And, and we, don't, we don't study it enough at all. We just, no. we, we don't, we don't understand it. We, I, I, you know, just have a smidgen of, of insight into it, but I'm going to start digging a little deeper into World War One because I think it can be revealing to the circumstances we're in now. Uh, and, uh, Let's let's talk about uh, thanking some people for from for some support. We want to send some Article Four Karma out to our supporters of the podcast, the website, and Corey's efforts to aver Article Four state citizenship. Uh, we have a couple of new faces. It looks like Jason Burke. We appreciate your support, Lauren Alberts, uh, Scott Carlson. Thank you, Scott. Christine Horston. I appreciate that donation. The Life of the World's in there again. We have Stuart Brazell. We have 316, Mitch Lamore, and John Roberts. Uh, recent donations to the cause here at Agenda 31. You can go and subscribe at Agenda31.org in the top corner there. You will see uh, subscription levels. You, and what, the first one is complimentary. That gets you access to uh, uh, some content on the blog that only those who are subscribed to get to. And if you make a, level, a donation of any level, you get access to additional content as well. Uh, that's the setup there. Uh, and if you subscribe to the blog, you also get a weekly notification with about maybe one to two hours notice that we're going to do a show. Typically now we're doing it on Sunday mornings. It just works out better. I think right now for Corey and I, and, and unless you have an uh, objection, Corey, I'm, I'm liking the Sunday morning thing. We've been kind of doing it for a while. Yeah, yeah that that works out well for me generally. Uh, you know, we, so, we can we can yeah. pivot, if you will. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, whenever we want, that's the beauty of it. But we do have a deadline because we do like being played back on the No Agenda stream, and we really appreciate that. Uh, I want to get to your uh, clip with uh, Justice Breyer, but I want to play one while I'm on this No Agenda riff, real quick. 
Um, yeah. Uh, the Syria thing, just to tease it, if you will, uh, the uh, uh, the Corbett report, C O R B E T T. You ever watch that? James Corbett. Dang it! I'm tired of losing Corey on this Skype call. This is getting really old. You there, Corey? Yeah, it is. I will have another solution by next week. I almost had one today, but I'll have another. Uh, That's cool. I'm not uh, sure it's your I, fault, man. I don't know what the hell's going on. But meanwhile, uh, uh, you know, if you listen to Scott Horton, uh, Scott Horton's a great podcast. I highly encourage people. You ever remember Scott at all? He's been doing okay. interviews for 14 years with authors and former government officials and you know politicians and scientists. I bet if I saw it, I would remember, but yeah. right now I'm not recalling. ScottHortonShow.com, I think, is the website. Um, I, I highly encourage people to check out Scott Horton. Uh, you know, James Corbett is, is Scott Horton esque. Uh, and this is a, this is a fairly provocative four minute clip that is, is talking about the Syria strike recently that, uh, uh, Trump ordered and trying to lend some insight into it. And I think it's important to listen to this, uh, for a, a lot of reasons and then, then go to the no agenda show and get an additional perspective. And I, and I want to bookend these because not, I, 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 I would propose to listeners that neither source is a hundred percent accurate, that you have to assemble perspectives from multiple views to get your own view and form your own view. Certainly do not just sit there in front of the tube and get it from one, two or three networks because that is back to CPI. That's what you're getting on those networks. You need to reach out. And even in the so-called alt scene, alternative scene, which I consider Corbett no agenda to be, listen to more than one perspective and form your own. On the morning of April 4th, 2017, Oops. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad on the verge of a military victory against the terrorist insurgents. Let's start that over. My apologies. Boom. On the morning of April 4th, 2017, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, on the verge of a military victory against the terrorist insurgency in his country and on the eve of peace talks that would secure his position as president, decided to use chemical weapons he didn't have against a target of no military significance in front of as many cameras as possible to cross the one red line that would ensure his own government's downfall. Soon after, the Academy Award-winning White Helmets, noted for their Oscar-worthy performances, persistent proximity to al-Qaeda, and financial dependence on U.S. aid, bravely risked their lives, handling Syrian victims barehanded against every protocol in the book. Without presenting a shred of evidence, President Donald Trump boldly launched a military strike against Sherrod Airfield because National security interest Promising to help the Beautiful Babies Offer does not apply to babies in Gaza, Yemen, Pakistan, or basically anywhere else. That military strike, a volley of 59 Tomahawk land attack missiles of which 23 actually made it to the target, failed to take out a single runway or even keep the airbase from operating for even 24 hours, but was a complete success for ExxonMobil, Raytheon, and Donald Trump. They put an arrow in the video to Trump saying that he was a shareholder of Raytheon and uh, Exxon. No one could question the wisdom of striking Syria, except Donald Trump, and no one could oppose such a move, except Russia. The Trump train, still convinced by candidate Trump, and by listening to guys like Lindsey Graham drop bombs here, drop bombs on Assad, drop bombs on ISIS, oh, but they're fighting each other, so maybe we shouldn't do that. And so could you convince Putin to get Assad to step aside? Well, they've been trying to do that. Could I? I don't think it's that important, to be honest with you. I think, frankly, let's say you get rid of Assad or you knock out that government. Who's going to take over? The people that were backing and then you're going to have like Libya? concluded that this was seventh-dimensional backgammon to make China afraid of the U.S.'s willingness to spend $100 million in a fearsome show of failing to destroy a single airfield. Throughout the world, people rejoice as a horrible secular regime in the Middle East is replaced by yet another peace-loving band of ragtag human rights campaigners and child beheaders motivated by a desire to subdue the armies of Rome in an apocalyptic confrontation in Dubique. 
The chemicals for the previous red line attack in Syria have since been proven to come from Libya with U.S. approval, but that's probably not relevant to this case. The CIA has released declassified report after declassified report showing that the plan to topple Syria's government has been in the works for decades, but this just shows that they were right all along. The mainstream media unquestioningly asserts that the story is true because the U.S. government says so, but that's okay because we all know the MSM is full of unbiased truth-tellers and dig hard to get the raw facts on every story. We see these beautiful pictures at night from the decks of these two U.S. Navy vessels in the eastern Mediterranean. I am tempted to quote the great Leonard Cohen. I'm guided by the beauty of our weapons, Um, and they are beautiful pictures. Even members of Congress think the story is a load of hogwash, but that's okay because they're probably crazy. Because I don't, frankly, I don't think Assad would have done that. It does not serve his interests. It would tend to draw us into that civil war even further. Who, and who so, do you think? Who do you think is behind it? You think you? Who do you think is behind it? Meanwhile, the White House has released a report on its intelligence about the chemical attack that refutes its own version of the story. But that's okay because when has the White House ever lied people into war? This man doesn't exist, and if you think he does, you're an enemy of humanity who should. Have- so he shows photos of people I don't even understand, but that you know that's a a, a quick you know fast talking rundown of the of the hypocrisy of of what you're being told on on mainstream channels, mainstream outlets, and I encourage people to listen to episode nine one nine and nine two zero, and even the current one that's going to be playing today uh, nine twenty one, uh, and you're going to get a perspective you won't hear elsewhere. So that, I mean that's that's the best you can do as far as you know, they, Curry and Dvorak and, and the James Corbett's of the world are, are paying attention so we don't have to. So if you if you value what you're getting out of those respective podcasts, you should support and contribute to them. Uh, and that's what we're asking you of, of Agenda 31 as well. Corey, you want to tee up this uh, Briar clip? Yeah, absolutely. The, the reason for the Briar clip is um, in relation to a friend of the show, Joshua Martinez in Las Vegas. And, you know, I've, got, I've gotten some people who've contacted me and basically, you know, I, I've never personally met Joshua. I've talked to him a couple of times on the phone. Uh, I know he's used his common law ID, the one that, you know, is created on his own to be able to access the courts. And it's really fascinating what the U.S. Marshal Service is doing along with the FBI and what's happening with Joshua Martinez. Um, in just for the people who have kind of thrown a few things at me, I, I'll say this. Let, let's say one person sent me an email and said, oh, Joshua Martinez is just a troublemaker. You know, he's out on the steps. And, uh, well, if his form of protest is not my form, then I, I'm not going to participate in that type of protest, right? So Joshua Martinez might be uh, comfortable walking around the courts, holding a flag, and 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 being, let, let's say, a troublemaker. Let's even go so far as a troublemaker. But w- one thing I'm certain of, and I'm, I'm completely unaware of, I'm certain of him being peaceful and unaware of him ever threatening or using violence. And so even troublemakers should have access to the courts. I can understand that if you're causing trouble at that particular moment in court, then the courts have the right to remove you. you there's a certain decorum that uh, needs to be manifest when you're in court. To my knowledge, Joshua is not accused of um, violating kind of the the social protocols of how you would act while in court, but instead, it's his way of accessing the courts. 
Joshua used a common law ID. That's a document that Joshua says, hey, here's how I identify myself. It's not fraudulent. It's not um, anything that could be used to deceive the government in any way. Uh, but it does aver Article 4 citizenship. And he had that document confiscated without a warrant. That document was taken away. They did it without a warrant. That's clearly, in my opinion, a violation of the Fourth Amendment. What they've done now is he recently got a call from the FBI, and uh, this is according to Joshua. I haven't heard the call, haven't heard anything, but based on what he said, the FBI is now investigating him for a very serious crime, and they're saying that it was an improper use of an apostille. Now, an apostille, all that does is say that the notary was a legitimate notary at the time a document or a notorial act was um, executed. And so the only thing that he's doing, let's say he's a troublemaker, that he marches around the, the court grounds with a flag and you know he's very vocal, there's nothing wrong with that. That's something you're allowed, you know, not allowed. That's a right that you're secured by the Constitution and that the courts serve a very important purpose. And what the Marshal Service is doing now in conjunction with the FBI, I think the reason to be involved, the reason to, um, we've got a link to Joshua's Facebook page, send him a word of encouragement. Um, Just let him know you're there. So far, he hasn't been arrested but his documents should be returned. Those are his documents. If he uses them in a fraudulent manner, that's a whole different story. But they're not, they're not alleging that anything was used in a fraudulent manner other than this thing from the FBI saying that the apostille was used uh, incorrectly. But they won't say how. Um, but instead, the government is now taking a common law idea away simply because it exists. That's a huge deal. That is a gigantic violation of the Constitution to be able to take away papers that you create that are not being used in a fraudulent way. And next, Joshua was then trespassed from the courts. They basically said, if you ever come back here again, we are going to arrest you for trespassing. So he has no access to the courts. And I thought Justice Breyer in this interview. This is an interview that Justice Breyer did with uh, Scalia a number of years ago, but he talks about the purpose and importance of the courts, and it's in complete contradiction to the behavior of the marshal service. You know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. Oh, sorry, that's that's, that's not, not Justice that's not Breyer. Breyer. I apologize. Uh, just to put a little finer point on this common law ID discussion, uh, we used there's a lot of information at our website. You can look on the right column there. You can access access it if you're a subscriber to the blog. We've gone over this many many times over you know uh, you know hundred over a hundred episodes ago, and this being you know are you in control of how you identify yourself or not? Who you know, if you have to rely on a third party to to uh, validate who you say you are. Uh, then you you don't really own yourself. You, you don't own right. your own. You, you just don't. You're 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 a citizen slave. And, and Justice Breyer mentioned that a driver's license is a bargain. That you enter into a bargain with the government. And when you go in there, in when I say when you go in there, when you go into the federal courts, the first thing they want to see is a driver's license. Well, and and, and 
I went to a federal court and with the common law ID, and I've told that story before. I'll keep it short. And yep. then I left at lunch, and uh, came back after lunch, and uh, they had a different person at the gate, and they, you know, kind of like, "What? What's this again?" And I got through again, went upstairs. Next thing you know, I'm getting accosted by two security guards and the U.S. marshal to demand, you know, how do I, what do I think I'm doing? And of course, there was no. You know, there's no statute, there's no rule, there's nothing posted that says you have to have government issued ID to get in that building. Nothing. This is all just, and I, I would propose to you, Corey, without having talked to Joshua or heard the conversation with the FBI, that this is an effort, and we're we're being uh, uh, um, unwittingly uh, uh, assisting the FBI in their efforts to chill, put a chilling effect on people using a common law ID. This is this is what I think is going on. Just my cursory you, glance at so this. So your cursory thing is that Joshua Martinez is not who he says he no, is. No, not at all. No, oh, okay. but all but right. the FBI can call him up and go, "You're under investigation." And oh, oh, absolutely. Okay, you know what does that mean? What the fuck does that mean? That doesn't mean anything, huh? right? I mean, there's it just no means you should be scared. Yeah, That's exactly, exactly. And so that proliferates on social media. We talk about it on our podcast. People start getting, you know, oh, a common law ID, apostille. Oh, I don't want to be in Joshua's shoes. I don't want to be under investigation. It's a bunch of hog shit. All right, let's listen to the briar here. You can't make your own ID, really? You can't get it notarized? You can't go to the Secretary of State and say, Secretary of State, I want you to authenticate that the notary who signed this document is, in fact, a notary. That's all that was. That's all that is. That's, That's all it is. thing does. You go to check into a hotel, and they say, I need to see some ID, and you hand them a common law ID, and they look at it, and they go, what's this? And you have a short explanation of what it is, and then they rent you the room. They, people have discretion. They don't have to have the plastic identity card to transact or to exchange information between each other. It, it, is, it is the seed and the, and the seat of self-determination. How do you identify yourself? And this effort that the FBI is doing with Joshua is an effort to undermine how people identify themselves. All right. Absolutely. Here's Breyer. The, the, the short answer is when we have cases, we try to apply the law and get the right answer in the case. And of course, we both think, I believe, that ultimately the point of law is to satisfy a human desire that's probably 10 or 20,000 years old. Uh, that people, of course, want justice. Justice, justice shall you pursue. And they want it, uh, and they expect, ultimately, that the law will help them achieve that very basic and noble end. And we understand what the basic end is, but we also think, or at least I do, and I'm sure Justice Scalia does, that you don't necessarily get to that end simply by trying to look for what is the intuitively nicer result in each case. Hmm. It, it's the, the actual interview is really fascinating, and I'm working on pulling more clips from that and doing a report based on this interview. But the, the part where he talks about the, you know, it's been a long desire, which predates this country, to have the law be able to prevail and maintain a civil society. Well, look at the way the marshal service is behaving. They will deny you access to court unless you agree to be their property. Yeah, and, and I just this is just coming up. I, I there's uh, friends of the show here locally that that have uh, engaged the court system both at the uh, county level and the federal level numerous times. And I'm being told, and I need to get a face-to-face with this individual to, to confirm it myself, but that uh, uh, Larry, Larry Bell, has been denied access to the federal courthouse and told he, he cannot access the courthouse. 
um, physically. They've, they've yeah. threatened to arrest him. And uh, this is a guy who's, you know, asserted right to travel and Sestake trust and, you know, gone down a different pathway to assert that, that he is not a U.S. citizen. Um, but he's also been told he, he and in fact, what I, what I was told, again, this is hearsay, was that, that that court has no jurisdiction over him. Subsequently, he is not allowed in it which is kind of a double-edged sword. Like, wow, they don't have jurisdiction over me, you know, which is what the detractors want to claim that sovereign citizens believe, that they have no authority or jurisdiction over you, so to speak. And technically, the federal government shouldn't have any authority over an individual. It should have authority over how the states govern themselves to guarantee a Republican form of government, which in turn guarantees your rights are protected. Except for federal subject matter jurisdiction. An example of that would be if you're counterfeiting you know, money, then the feds are the ones that would prosecute that crime, even for an Article Four citizen. So if an Article Four citizen is counterfeiting money, it's not the state that's going to come in and do something. And your Article Four citizenship provides absolutely no protection uh, to stop the government from prosecuting you, the federal government, for counterfeiting, because that is federal subject matter jurisdiction. So state citizens are not completely immune to any federal oversight, but the federal oversight is very, very limited, just limited to federal subject matter jurisdiction. Yeah. So, uh, so jo- any, any, uh, Joshua, if you're listening, we'd love to hear more about what the FBI is claiming to do. Um, you know, the, there, there are good FBI agents and they're bad FBI agents, just like there's good cops and bad cops. They, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. And you obviously are, you know, when you're getting flack, you know you're over the target. And you're obviously over a target with regards to access to the courthouse. And I think that this is starting to proliferate nationwide, Corey, in terms of the, well, the dialogue. You mentioned there was no signs. There's now signs that says 100% positive ID check at the um, uh, here in Los Angeles at the federal courts. But when they say that you have to show a government ID and you ask what is the authority for that, they'll give you several different answers. I've been told that it was a judge's orders that they can't produce. They've been told that it's a federal law, but they can't cite the law. In, um, uh, in Joshua's case, they're citing something that has no application. They're saying that it doesn't uh, meet the Real ID Act. Well, his ID was not issued by a state. He's the one that created it. And the Real ID Act ap- applies to state-issued ID. It's it's the equivalent to showing them a passport and then saying, well, the passport doesn't qualify for the Real ID Act. Well, it, it doesn't because it has nothing to do with a state. The state doesn't issue it. And um, and that's what they're doing with Joshua. They, they In their case, out there in Las Vegas, they claimed the Real ID Act is a reason to prevent people from accessing the court. But what's happening is they're only they're creating a situation where the only way you can access the court is if you're in a position where you're going to lose. You know, the challenge we face is that the, the system is viewing everybody that walks up to that door as a U.S. citizen. There's a presumption that you're a U.S. citizen. There's a presumption. And I would propose that as a U.S. citizen, you do have the obligation to show an ID. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. You, you, you've, you've agreed to it. You've agreed to this yeah, system. And so when you aver Article 4 and refuse to show a government ID and, and try to assert yourself and be self-determinate, that is an anathema to the entire power structure. And they cannot let 
a little, uh, one, you know, if they, if you let one ant, you know, get through, you know, what happens if other ants get through? And there's a strength in numbers. Imagine if all those 180 demonstrations yesterday about Trump's tax returns. This is just classic distraction. Keep the masses distracted in something totally meaningless. But imagine if 180 uh, demonstrations went to federal courthouses and demanded entrance without government-issued ID. Right. Ima- imagine that type of effort. You know, yeah. in terms of raising awareness of self-determination and who's really should be in charge here. Um, it's anyway. Um, well, there's there's the you know the, the whole thing. I talked to uh, uh, Joshua about getting into the Supreme Court, and you know, if if it were determined that access to the federal courts is a constitutionally protected activity then what the U.S. Marshal Service is doing is a very, very serious crime. And, and these people operate with impunity. The, the, you've proven that except for the commissioner, the head of the California Highway Patrol, no other officer has an oath of office. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, they don't. They don't they, nothing. So, you know, this, it's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Let's just get another five billion dollar tax. You know, everybody. It's everything's fine. Everybody. There's no problems. You, you got Corey. You and Todd. You just your Article Four stuff. You guys are just overly concerned about things. There's, there's, you know, it's a, here. You go, America. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Um. Well, I think we need to wrap this up, Corey. It's been yep. another. Uh, episode you've been listening to uh, todd mcgreevy and Corey ibe we've been uh, broadcasting uh, live to tape uh, april 16th 2017 oh, interrupt you can i interrupt you real sure, quick sure i want to do a plug for next week's show you're oh yeah talking, you're not going to be here next week correct we have a guest who uh is going to remain anonymous but i know this guest personally he has 30 years experience in the government and for next week's show you need to bring pen and paper. Oh, it's that sounds going difficult. Absolutely need to have pen and paper with ready. Can you do show notes ahead of time? Well, uh, part of the agreement is there are no show notes. The, oh, the, the the information the 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 guess that we have is recognizes just like we do that um, you know if you put show notes on this particular subject matter. You're going to have a whole bunch of people who look at it and review it and think, oh, yeah, that's neat. And then he's going to feel like he wasted his time. In his words, it was, hey, if there's 5,000 people listening and if 10 people took notes, I would consider that a gigantic success. Okay. Even said if three people took notes. And the reason (laughs) is he is excellent, incredibly excellent at being able to do citations, um, pin sites, being able to format references correctly. He has a lot of experience in court. He has experience in actually authoring laws that have gone on the books. And uh, one of the, uh, he basically said, I'm excited because I've spent a lot of time with him on the phone. I know how he thinks. Uh, We don't agree 100% on everything, but we are of like mind when it comes to restraining government. And he's going to be doing a very deep dive that's predicated on um, a man who died a long time ago and how the case that involves him would apply today and go through the tax code. He will have citations and teach you how to write these sites 
So this is a working show. It is incredible, and it's you know quite frankly, it'll it'll be entertaining to listen to for sure. But if you really want to ha- know what it's like to do the work to aver Article Four citizenship, it requires being able to write and being able to take notes and being able to. Uh, uh, manipulate references in such a way that you can pull information that you need for a successful case. And that's what we got going on next week. I'm really excited. So pen and paper for next week's show, as there'll be very limited show notes. When you've had 12 to 18 years of public disinformation propaganda drilled into your brain, it's tough to break free. It is. And this would be an effort, this would be an opportunity to uh, uh, crack those chains next week on Agenda 31. You've been listening to episode number 128 of Agenda 31. Uh, please subscribe at agenda31.org. And uh, thank you for tuning in to the lowest risk, highest reward podcast in the universe. Well, gain the war, but lose their soul. Well, gain the war, but lose their soul.
You're just trying to get to the truth. I get it. But what you need to remember is that there's what people want to hear, there's what people want to believe, there's everything else, then there's the truth. And since when is that okay? I can't even believe you're saying this to me. The truth means responsibility, Arnie. Exactly, which is why everyone dreads it. You've come to steal You come like the thieves in the night The whole world is ready to fight I want everybody who is responsible for this fiasco To be held accountable Share and support at Agenda31.org. Okay, guys, let's get out there and make a difference. You know what to do.